Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and today I'm joined by several guests and, of course, co-host Brent Snyder. And, Brent, do you want to go ahead and introduce our guest today? Yeah, absolutely. So in our last episode, I said that we had the specialist of guests with uh, Michael Pardue. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the specialistist with of guests today. With um, we, we do have Michael back with us again, president of the of the North Carolina Baptist State Convention. And then we also have the first vice president and the second vice president. Um, we've got Quintel and Jason with us. And so, um, guys, I'm going to just turn it over to you all um, to just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where where you're serving, and about your families a little bit. Uh, Quintel, we'll start with you. Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Quintel. Uh, I'm a church planner in Monroe, North Carolina. Uh, name of the church is Multiply Community Church. And uh, we, so my wife and I, my wife's name is Christy. And we have two girls, and we've been married 13 and a half years. Uh, both of our girls are adopted, and yeah, that's a little bit about my family. And uh, we've been we've been at church planning now. Uh, really, we've we've been at it two and a, two and a, almost two and a half years, and we built a team, and then we you know we we launched last September. So we we on a journey to I guess make Monroe great again. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Is uh, Quintel's multiply your first involvement in a church plant? Uh, well, prior to yeah, I would say yeah, but no. Uh, prior to coming to North Carolina, I helped the church uh, trying to get prepared to plant uh, two churches. Uh, one church was in Atlanta called Image Church. It was a it was a church that was a plant through uh, JD Greer. Um, they sent them to um, go down to Marietta, Georgia, to to uh, plant. I just helped them trying to learn how to, I'm just trying to learn, <laughs> you know, the, the guts of everything. And then when I moved up to North Carolina, I helped Sojourner, Sojourner Church in Concord. Uh, brother, a um, good friend of mine, Corey Alley, he was he was planting so, Sojo, <laughs> that's their nickname. And uh, we, I was an apprentice there for almost a year. And so it's been a beautiful thing to kind of look behind the scenes. Uh, it really, really helped me uh, and build a team and uh, figure out this whole church planning thing. Good deal. Um, Jason? Yeah. Hey, uh, my name's Jason Miller, and i uh, married to uh, my beautiful bride of 19 years. We're celebrating 20 years next year, so uh, working on what we're going to do for for that kind of uh, celebration. But uh, her name's Megan. We have three kids, two middle schoolers, and then a first grader. And so uh, it's a life has been fantastic. We've been um, really blessed where God called us to serve. It's my first pastorate and uh, I was a, in, an engineer for over a decade and then God called us to the pastorate and, uh, and then by his providential hand placed us in the mountains of North Carolina in Haywood County at a church named Dutch Cove Baptist Church. In fact, out on the sign that says Dutch Cove Missionary Baptist Church and 
And uh, I don't want to drop that name because it keeps our focus where it needs to be, you know. And uh, we, uh, we're a revitalizing church. God has done fantastic things. Uh, he's, uh, we have seen a transition in age, you know, where, um, where a generation has gone on to glory, but God has supplied a, uh, you know, the vibrance of children. I remember showing up there and it was the first time, the first Sunday it was my two kids and then uh, at the time, and then a couple others. Um, but then to see the lifeblood of the church increase and uh, people go on the mission field and be serious about the Great Commission. And uh, so we've been there since uh, 2013. And uh, it's really, like I said before, and I say often, it's, it's not me. It's not us together. It's just our faithfulness um, following God because we've, we've just had a front row seat to see God do what only he could do. Now, Jason, you I think you mentioned earlier that um, Dutch Cove was established in the 1940s. Is that right? Yeah, 1941. Was So were they, were they originally um, a missionary Baptist church with no affiliation to the SBC and joined later, or have they always just had that name and been affiliated with the SBC? As best I can tell from their history, um, it's interesting. They were a they were a church start or a church plant. Um, there wasn't a Baptist church in the Dutch Cove community, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the Dutch, uh, as we would in uh, in our uh, in the way we uh, the way we talk. It was a German Cove, and it was called Deutsch Cove. But you uh, you say that enough, it sounds like Dutch Cove, and so. Uh, the next closest church there was uh, formerly a Lutheran and then a Methodist uh, church. And there, uh, that was the only church in that community. And by the history of the church, what's been recorded is there were people that were both praying for spiritual revival and then moved that it was a Baptist doctrine that, they, that best aligned with the scriptures. And so they, uh, they pulled out and through prayer uh, for spiritual awakening and revival, planted Dutch Cove Baptist Church in a school building. And then a couple of years, a storm came through, blew the school building down. They built another church and then have uh, been in the 70s, built the church that we're in today. And so um, uh, I think that they aligned along the way with the SBC, but it wasn't their original uh, wasn't our original founding was with the SBC, but it came about um, later in their history, recognizing the importance of cooperating for the uh, for the Great Commission to see we can do more together than we can apart. That's awesome, and I, I want to just point out, I, and um, Quintel and Jason, you guys can both confirm this, but it was something that Michael mentioned yesterday. Um, I believe all three of you guys are pastoring what we would really identify as normative-sized churches, right? Um, congregations of less than 150 or so. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I think that's really cool for our listeners to hear, but I think that's great for the state convention because um, you guys are pastoring churches that represent the majority of the state convention by far. And so, um, so I think that's, I think that's great. Yeah, I'd heard a stat one time that in the SBC, uh, as a state, as a convention of churches across our nation, that you could fit 
all of the mega church pastors into one 747 uh, airplane. And uh, if I saw the last stat, there are close to 50,000 Southern Baptist churches across the country. And, but the vast majority of those are these normative sized churches. And um, they're the, uh, they're not the show horses of the convention, but they're the workhorses of the convention. That's true. Facts right there. Facts. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump in and ask you about your pastorates here because while you are in two different settings, one uh, in the mountains, uh, you're, we're, you're not in the mountains, right, uh, Quintel? No, we were a little bit south of Charlotte, probably about 20 minutes from Charlotte, North Carolina. There you go. That's, that's kind of the new – Charlotte's like the new Wall Street, isn't it? All kinds yeah, of banks going in there. And it's crazy. Uh, let, let money, money, money. There. We, we, we need to stay down below Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> Man, can afford to even get gas in Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, that's high dollar. Uh, I just have some questions here for you guys about your ministries. And while they are different contexts and different types of pastorates, there's going to be some similarities, I think, just because we're all dealing with people. And people are people in the mountains or in the city or anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess my first question would be this. Um, what is one thing you wish you knew about the ministry before you began in the ministry? Well, I'll, I'll start. Uh well, I heard this quote, uh, Lauren Wiersbe, you know, he, he said that, you know, hey, if ministry would be great if you didn't have to deal with people, right? I mean, <laughs> and, and, and uh, I, I totally agree with old Warren Wiersbe, man. And, but, you know, just, just one thing that I, I wish I, I would have been told on a regular was, you know, the, the majority of, of your ministry, yeah, we're going to bring forth the word of God and we're going to preach and, and they need the book, but you know, one thing that I wish someone would have told me before I walked in was how hard it's going to be to deal with people. Mm. And, 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 you know, you know, everybody's not going to love a church like you and, and uh, whether it's a church work day or what, I mean, I mean, I, I really wish that, that it was communicated to me. Now we talk all this stuff in seminary classes about, you know, homiletical outlines and exegetical digesters and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but one thing that, that, that I know for sure um, if, if, if I, before I even would have gone to school, my mentor would have just poured into me, Hey, this is the best way to deal with people. And so that's what I would say for, for me. Yeah, I, I would, I would certainly piggyback on that. I, I, my son said, uh, several years ago, so he's a long back. He said, I want to be a pastor one day. And I said, really? Now he's, let's see, he would have been, um, under 10, you know, and, uh, he said, I want to be a pastor. I said, well, why son? He said, well, you get to talk and everybody listens to you. <laughs> and I just laughed and I said, that's not really the way it works, man. You know, it's, uh, preaching and is, um, in bringing the word, leading people, um, through the word and, and submitted to the Holy spirit is a chief, um, uh, in, but a lot of it is exactly, um, yeah, it's not a speaking business. It's a people business. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, uh, to bring the, the gospel to bear on all of our lives takes relationships with people. And sometimes those relationships get strained. Sometimes their relationships with just people are hurting. Um, but it takes communicating to everyone. And, and this is not all that serious, but there's one thing I never thought about being a pastor is just how much time I'd be on the telephone. 
Um, you know, and I know that's a small side step, but it's, but that directly relates to being, um, involved with your, with your people. I, uh, you know, uh, I heard a pastor say once, you know, if you're a shepherd, you ought to smell like your sheep and, um, you ought to know the people that you're ministering to, not just in your church, but also in your community. And, um, and it's, it's a lot about understanding, you know, if you want to bring the gospel to bear in people's lives, it's not teaching them facts about the gospel, but it's about showing them how the gospel relates to exactly where they are and what they're facing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that just takes a lot of time. I think I'm probably busier now. At one point I was pulling three full-time roles, you know, um, but not a pastor. And, uh, but as a pastor, you find yourself, um, with more things to do and less time to do them. I think in, 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 in all of my life. Yeah. You know, we, um, we, we try to focus quite a bit on, um, church revitalization and just to sort of follow up from that, you know, what, uh, what you wish you'd known going into the ministry, whether you're in a revitalization context or not, you know, all of us in the ministry have, at least one thing in common, we've all probably failed multiple times before. And I think one of the keys to being a successful revitalizer is, is knowing how, knowing how to handle failure, um, knowing how to fail well, I guess you could say. Um, so question for both of you again, um, what's, what's maybe one of the biggest failures that you felt like you have had at some point in your ministry and, and how did you handle that? And then of course, most importantly, learn from that. Um, yeah, I'll go first. Uh, for me, it was the importance of systems, but the lack, but I had the, I didn't have them in place. So when we showed up as a, you know, and began to pastor at, at, uh, at Dutch Cove, I mean, we saw some growth like 200% growth, um, almost right out of the, right out of the chute, um, from around just under a hundred to close to 200 folks. And, um, I didn't have any idea. I just like my hair was on fire, man. I was going a hundred miles an hour and our front. And I described it this way. The front door of our church was wide open, but so was the back door. And we didn't have systems in place to, I mean, we had the traditional systems of a church, which is Sunday school and worship and, you know, kids this or whatever, but we didn't have a systems in place to really capture, um, assimilate, help them develop friendships and really begin an intentional discipleship process with accountability and, and next steps. Uh, we just had the traditional, you know, offerings, the traditional roles, and, and those don't work when you're, um, those don't work when you see growth like that. They don't, they don't, you can't capture people that quickly. We didn't, we, we didn't have enough classes. We didn't have enough offerings. We didn't have enough places to get people connected to. We didn't have enough staff or volunteer leadership. And so, um, not long after that, we kind of came back down to, to a, you know, a more sustainable level. And, um, but it was a sustainable level for, for a single pastor, you know, a single staff pastored, uh, pastoring church. And uh, the truth of the matter is ministry. Um, if you hold it all into your shoulders, it can only expand as big as what your own shoulders can hold. Um, but the kingdom of God is much bigger than that. 
And so it's so important to have leadership pipelines, have structures and systems in place to be able to capture folks. And we didn't. And so, you know, it's a lesson learned very quickly. And then it's, um, it's a process of, uh, reviewing what you have, analyzing it, looking at what can be done differently, looking and starting to really take intentional steps to develop, uh, systems that, and, and asking for help. And, you know, you, you, you tend to do what you've seen. You tend to do what you've experienced before. And, um, and I experienced it a lot of traditional kind of things, not the systems really weren't that big a deal. So, asking for help, looking for guys that are ahead of you and saying, Hey man, would you be willing to share with me what you guys are doing and what's, what's been successful? Yeah. I would say, you know, with, 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 uh, biggest failure would be, you know, uh, really Brian, you know, was it, I think his name was Brian Croft. I can't remember the dude's name wrote the book, helping hurts when helping hurts. Uh, you know, bringing people on your team, um, specifically, I'm, I'm, I'm just speaking here recently, you know, cause when you ask that question, you know, the first thing come to mind for me, you know, current failure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just, just, just being overly, you know, doors open for anybody in a sense, you know, when you're a church plant or, you know, when you revitalize in the church, you just feel desperate for, for people help. And my, my biggest problem has been just, letting people get by. Yeah. No, know, uh, and, and just letting them get by with, with, and, and, and not holding them to the fire on commitment. And it's, and, and, and really, and, and really just to be transparent, we're a multi-ethnic church in Union County, North Carolina. Now Monroe is a diverse town. Uh, you know, we intentionally, we, we want to be diverse. Now multi-ethnic is, you know, we're not a, we don't worship multi-ethnic, you know, we, we worship the King who, who draws all people to himself. Right. And so I think on the front end, when we were building our team, you know, we were, you know, there's people that have come to our church from other churches. We all have baggage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, whether you're saved, lost or whatever it may be. Uh, one mistake that, that I can say I have a failure was uh, bringing people on the team from a leadership standpoint that really didn't fully understand what it means to be in a multi-ethnic church. So, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's one of the things that I can say that we've been, been, been having to clean up a lot, you know, just, Hey, when we, you know, sometimes you, you're not going, you're not going to eat green bean casserole today, bro. I mean, you, you're going to eat some greens with some pig feet in them, you know, <laughs> I mean, from a, from a music standpoint or whatever that may be, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I, I think the point to answer the question, it is more so getting the right people in place to fulfill the vision and mission of the church. Really? I, I failed to do that at a pretty much just be frank, just desperate for help. And so that that's, that's my answer. Just one point of clarity. I'd like to know your brother's opinion on this. And I appreciate you pointing that out, Quintel. I think that's very true for revitalizers and church planters. Uh, do you think sometimes lay folks in the church and us as pastors prefer and like it to have kind of ready-made leaders? You know what I mean? Where we're, we're coming in, they've coming in from another church or whatever. They were a deacon somewhere else, or they were a pastor somewhere else. And we just want to plug them in and then we just give them passes because 
you know, we just don't have the time or don't want to take the time to train them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's, I, I mean, I, I don't even, yes. I mean, that's the, I mean, because, you know, it's, it's a, it's a situation where, you know, it's so demanding um, as the lead guy at a church, right? I mean, you, you so much in your, in your, it's easy to, 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 to get to already, already cooking, you know, already, you know, already marinated already, you know, but, but Hey, that's what it means to be a disciple and make disciples is this is a, this is, this is not a sprint, man. This is a marathon. And, and really that organic, that's what we've been praying for as a church, organic growth. Amen. I mean, if, if somebody comes to this church from another church, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be, be mean, man, but I'm like, look, uh, keep it moving, but I, I really not that way. But 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 you but you you get my point that when you bring that over, it's like I said, we all have have baggage, but we don't want to do the work to make the disciple. You know, yeah. we we don't want to do what it takes to to put in the time where, you know, when it's Will Mancini, right? I mean, he wrote that book. What was it? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of it. That church unique. And, and he and he talks about words creating worlds, right? And so even within that, these people that are coming from other churches that have already been in the pastors and doing all these things, they don't understand language. They don't understand the importance of of of, of certain things that 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 matter. And and I, I do think if if you're gonna try to do the shortcut route, uh, it may seem easier up front, but man, in the long run, it's gonna be better. Uh, to to make that disciple and make disciples. Yeah, no, no it's so good. Uh, I I totally agree, Quintel. It's like it's it's the time demand. You know, it's like well, I, I see a need for a ministry, or I need a I need someone here. I need, uh, you know, we feel like we need we need, and so we tend to kind of um, we tend to kind of give some passes. But whether it's a plant that is starting DNA from scratch, or it's um, a revitalization where there, there is a culture that's already there. There is a DNA. And so you're, you know, prayerfully, patiently, and with the word of God, trying to change that DNA, right. Mm-hmm. To not to what you want it to be, but what you just think's aligning with scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be patient, you know, you have to be, you have to be patient in that and, and, uh, and really building from the, from the ground up, you know? Uh, and I think that, um, uh, that patience when you see all these demands in front of you or even opportunities being patient and waiting on, on, on God to provide the leader is, um, and then holding them accountable, which let's just face it in our Baptist churches, accountability has, uh, has slipped to not just the last chapter. It's fallen behind the appendix and, and maybe out of the cover of the book altogether. Um, uh, but it hasn't fallen out of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to have a, a New Testament church that honors Christ, we have to have accountability and discipline, not, not in the old form of churching somebody, but uh, which isn't that just horrible that that term even exists as though churching somebody would, is somehow negative, but rather loving them to a, a relationship that they're not accountable. They are accountable to the church, but they're first accountable to Jesus. Yeah. So that term churching someone, I, 
I ministered in the Midwest for some time, and that's not a term that's used in the Midwest. That's a that's an Appalachian mountain term, to my knowledge. So, <laughs> that, well, that, I tell you, it's. I mean, you talk about putting a connotation on something that's terrible. I mean, church and someone all be mean, mean that you're bringing them to the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ for redemption and hope. <laughs> it, instead, it took on a term of man. Don't show up to the church today. You're going to get put out and 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 sent sent packing. Yeah, one of my deacons asked me, "So and so's caught in this sin. We gonna church him?" And I was like, "What?" So I had to had to pull it out there what he meant. We just called it good old fashioned church discipline in the Midwest when I was pastoring there. So anyway, uh, all right. Well, the Bible tells us that if anyone desires to be an overseer, which is you know another word for pastor, there um, that it's a noble task. What advice would you give somebody who is desiring to become a pastor, either uh, Quintel, if you don't mind, maybe tailoring it for church planters or, and then Jason, therefore a church revitalizer, what advice would you give somebody who just starting in that desire and, and is wanting to, uh, wanting to pursue that? You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say, make sure you've heard the Lord's voice. Mm. I mean, Good. I mean, because, I mean, if, if, if God hadn't called you to do this, you're going to, you're going to fall, man. You're going to, you're going to, because, uh, sometimes, you know, pastoral ministry can be lonely. Uh, you know, we can be on an Island. Uh, uh, it's, you know, I've heard it said, if you can do something else, do it. I mean, and, Mm -hmm. and so, just make sure the Lord has, has texted you. Okay. (laughs) Make sure he's (laughs) FaceTimed you. And, and, uh, the calling is the, is the main thing. Derek prime, Alistair Begg wrote a book, um, on being a pastor. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the questions is some resources, man, that's, that's one of the first resources that I would say, if, 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 if you, if you feel called to be a pastor, pick that book up and, uh, the first chapter may cause you to close it and don't be a pastor. I mean, so, so, but anyway, I would just say primarily make sure the Lord has called you because if he's called you to it, he's going to bring you through it. And, mm, and that's, that's and cause it's not, it's not going to be easy. It's not just about like my brother was saying, it's not just about getting up there preaching. I mean, if, if that man, that's, that's, that's the, uh, that's, that's, that's game day. I mean, the, the, the sermon, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's game day. I mean, we can, I mean, we all can get up there and talk, but it's just make sure the Lord has FaceTimed you and and make sure your face is in the book and not on Facebook. Okay. Amen. That's good. Um, For me, I kind of want to put two out there. One from a just calling to the pastor perspective and that's personal devotion. Uh, especially when I think there's a draw sometimes just with the demands for pastors to, um, their personal devotion becomes preparation time for the next sermon, uh, for the next speaking engagement. Um, and then there becomes a neglect of personal devotion that is, um, not for, it's not for someone else first, it's, it's got to be for you first, right? And so personal devotion is kind of like that that uh, tower of, of glasses and you've, where you've seen maybe someone do this and they pour, uh, they pour out into the very top of this pyramid of glasses and it pour, comes out of that top glass and then fills all the glasses down below it. 
Well, if you're not getting poured into from the word of God and the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit as the leader of that church, you don't have anything to pour out of you as you fill up those who are around you. And so personal devotion comes that way. And then from a, um, particularly for a revitalization is patience. It takes patience. Mm-hmm. As many of brothers who wanted to see a re- church revitalized and they weren't willing to wait on God because you have to, there's a couple things first. And before you uh, prescribe, you need to diagnose and, you know, some, some brothers want to come into a church revitalization and they think they've got it all figured out and they haven't learned the people to begin with. So they haven't been patient there. But the other side is we all got to understand that we have a certain amount of trust capital. We've got chips in our hand and we're going to spend those chips making changes in a church that already exists. And so a wise led by the Holy spirit to make those changes, but knowing if you make a change, you just spent some of that trust capital that you had. And so you're going to let some of that build back up before you try another, before you try something else. You know, I, I would, I would say this, and I know we're going to move on to the next one. You know, I, I just was thinking about, you know, being a church planner and, you know, when I was seeking the Lord's, you know, will with whether or not we should plant or revitalize. I, I remember um, reading um, Ed Stetzer and Mike Dotson's book, Come Back Churches, right? And uh, Mike Dotson was my professor in seminary. And uh, so I, of course, you know, I'm picking up the phone and call a prof. You know, what do you think about whether it's church planning? Just trying to get wisdom from a multitude of counselors, right? Uh, or church planning or revitalization. Uh, and he comes with this phrase, and I know you guys probably have heard this, but he, he says, uh, it's easier to raise the dead. It's easier to give birth than to raise the dead, right? I mean, and I was like, oh, I think I got my choice. Uh, but, 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 but no, I, I say that because make sure the Lord has called you. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's very important because it's not an easy task. And, uh, and let the word of God, like my brother say, uh, cut you open and bleed Biblion, right? Bleed Bible. Amen. I mean, that's important. So, Yeah, I believe that was Donald McGavern that said that, the father of the church growth movement. It's much easier to birth a baby than to raise the dead. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully every church planter hears a rattle in that graveyard and bones. Yes, 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 yes. Hear yes, a rattle. Yes, yes. Uh, I just wanted to say one thing. I'm going to turn it over to my co-host here. I've been recently going back and re-listening to a podcast that Darren Patrick did. Uh, he tragically took his life back in uh, back in the spring. And uh, one of the things that we, that I, as I was listening to how uh, he had fallen in ministry and then eventually went through a discipline and restoration process that was pretty brutal. But one of the things that he, he noted was the crumbling of his relationship with Christ. You know what I mean? It, as was sort of the beginning peg that fell over. And I think that's probably some really solid advice there that you brothers are giving that, that, that relationship has got to be intact. We'll only be pastors, planters or revitalizers for a time, but we will be children of Christ and we will worship the King for eternity. Amen. So that's good. That's good work. Includes part one of an interview with our two vice presidents currently of the North Carolina Baptist convention. They were voted in, in the fall of 2020. Please tune in next time for the continuation of this, and we hope you have a wonderful day enjoying Christ in this great salvation that we have. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message 
on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.